0: that that is actually much more recent than that let's just say that i ended up let's just say that steve and i were having a conversation uh this past week where you know we've worked together for so long that i will infer his silences <laughs> to mean things and i was drawing like <laughs> these inferences from his silences and was spending like four minutes talking to what was actually a dead
1: phone it's like no no you're right you're right if
0: that's exactly what it is it's like but what if we do this oh <laughs> uh, you know what you're right. I, you know, I appreciate that. That's tough feedback, but I appreciate that. That would that would not have worked. I had not thought of it that way. <laughs> and then, the the really embarrassing thing is, are we recording this? I assume we are.
1: Yeah. All yeah. Right, yeah I just started. The yeah. Recording. So the
0: the the, the truly, uh, and I try to like break the ice a little bit with like, hey, you know, A's one though, and I get like nothing, and I'm like, okay, all right, we gotta, I gotta work out of this one, and then finally, I'm like, uh, talk to me, goose. And that was when <laughs> when I got nothing out of that. I'm like, wait a minute. Hello? And I'm like, how long has the phone been dead? It was embarrassing.
1: That's
2: wonderful.
0: Steve, you I figured got, it got,
2: out. Yeah, I got, figured it out. I had to go allow Twitter spaces to listen to my device at all hours of all days. There you go.
0: Yeah, you just have to Should, allow Twitter spaces to listen to your microphone so it can I mean, tailor ads for you, obviously. It's a yeah, fair I, bargain.
2: I already have enough hot mic ads hitting my phone. What's another one?
0: It's trying to serve you. The um, the, have you listened to the reply all on is the Facebook microphone on? No, it's, it's not, no, Oh no, it sounds terrible. No, no, it's 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 excellent. We'll link to it in the show notes. So they, um, because there's this like very strong anecdotal evidence that the Facebook mics are on that, that Facebook is has the mic on and Facebook hardantly denies that they they use the mic. And the truth is actually in some ways even scarier in that Facebook actually doesn't need the mic to be on to figure out, to read your mind. Um, Because the, the, the Facebook mics that are hot are all of the people in your network that are experiencing the same things that you're experiencing. So in other words, you might have a conversation with somebody and then all of a sudden, you get an ad for something that you have not typed into your phone at all, but that you were talking about. And it's because the other person did something that Facebook recognized and then fed that ad to you. Anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure on top of the analytics they can pull, they're also just direct listening to you. So, <laughs> well,
0: then I mean, okay. Why not, why not do both? <laughs> right. You can do both. right. right. You're thinking I'm overthinking it. Well, this is
1: a good, it's a good reply all opposite. So. so it's worth, uh, worth listening to. You're going to start getting ads for tinfoil hats, Steve.
2: <laughs> well, funny you should say that.
1: <laughs> All right, so
0: uh, we've been we had this one in the in the queue for a little while to uh, talk about Silicon Cowboys, which I Adam, I assume I put you on the Silicon Cowboys. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely, and,
1: absolutely, yes.
0: And Steve, I know I put you on to Silicon Cowboys.
2: I thought I put you onto it. <laughs> no, Stop. you you very much did. You you recommended it and it was uh,
0: a great recommendation. And so the the history here is that actually I was trying to watch Halt and Catch Fire with my 13-year-old. Um, and the uh, I don't know if folks watch Halt and Catch Fire but I'm like I would would like to watch this. It's about effectively about combat, loosely based on combat. As uh, so it turns out as my 13-year-old observed it's like that is is there this much sex in computers? I'm like no, no, not really. This is like there's a lot of spontaneous sex breaking out here. This is this is really not a and he got to the point where it's like, again, you know, he's not, you know, he's he sadly is a child of the internet, so really nothing can phase him. But he did just find it like boring that there was so he's like, Dad, can we just like watch something that doesn't have as much sex in it? I'm like, all right, so this is how I found looking cowboys, and then I think I turned I can't remember the ordering, but I turned both of you onto it. And yeah, what'd you think? Uh, the documentary.
2: It, it was amazing. Uh, I uh a little bit disappointed in myself that I knew as little about Compaq and their rise as I did, Uh, which, I mean, also made the documentary that much more enjoyable because uh, they do a very good job of narrating the story and, and giving it some, some Hollywood vibe, but it is um, it was fascinating. I mean, I, I, you know, at at the time that they launched, I was four years old. So (laughs) appreciating that i wouldn't i wouldn't have tracked it at that time but still um you know fastest company to 100 million dollars fastest company to a billion dollars fastest company the fortune 500 i mean just just their meteoric rise was um i was kind of surprised it was yeah. off my radar yeah likewise
1: I, I i'm embarrassed that i had no idea of what a story it was because <laughs> yeah like in the in the like I don't know, gr- growing up sort of uh, compact was interchangeable with like gateway computer or whatever, just sort yeah. of like, just sort of gray box. And then, you know, into my, into my adulthood, it was like literally a punchline, right? Like it, it had so little cachet that it was, uh, you know, culminating in, uh, in, in Scott McNeely's great line of the, the sound of two garbage trucks colliding <laughs> right. when HP and Comp but, but that. <laughs> For me, that was compact. So then, to see it paint, portrayed in this light of this unbelievable success story, uh, you know, but truly driven by this combination of you know market and technology and execution, it, it was it was eye opening.
0: Oh, they hit the trifecta for sure. And so, just to give everyone some idea of the numbers, first of all, actually, it's ironic you should mention Gateway, Adam, because they are actually incorporated as. Mm-hmm gateway technology so they i
1: saw that that was that was crazy obviously no relation no relation
0: to like cow based gateway um that's on february 16th 1982 on december 31st 1983 their sales are 111 million on december 31st 1984 329 million on december 31st 1985 503 million and that is that those are not real dollars those are nominal dollars those are in 1983 1984 and 1985 dollars and coming out of a deep depression in 1982 I mean those numbers are just insane I mean it's just nuts yeah and
2: they they did uh, I think they said so that first year they sold something like 50,000 PCs and this was, I, I thought the other part that was, that was fascinating was just thinking back about how difficult it would have been to raise money at that time, <laughs> and then how difficult it would have been to raise money on the premise of building a computer
1: company that was going to go after IBM. Yeah, was,
2: was even what, more
1: laughable. And, and what they raised, they raised, yeah, 750,000, which yeah. in today's terms, I did the math, was like 2.1 Couple million. million, 2.1 yeah. million crazy it's crazy and i
0: know so have either of you read open by the, the no okay no so i i think it is worth reading the book it's i think the book as sadly is misnamed i don't know why would you call it open which to me is not what i, I associate that with much more with sun than with compact um it, it shouldn't have been named compatible which is much more compact, site guys but anyway
1: yeah, uh, and um, quality
0: and quali- Yeah, right misnamed great book uh goes into the the rate the fundraising quite a bit and Steve, at, at, at the risk of limiting both of our careers. I, I, oh, boy. I, I feel that like the so um, the the singular Pierre Lamond serves on Oxide's board. And he told us a story that I feel is safe to retell. I'm glad you do. OK, so <laughs> I will be retelling this alone and Steve will apparently <laughs> be throwing me under the bus,
2: <laughs> no, right, no, which, no, fine, no. which is fine. It's a safe story.
0: I think it's a safe story, right? Yeah. So Pierre describes – and I, and he does not feature in Open, so I'm not sure. So Pierre's at Sequoia at the time and apparently flies to Houston to meet with Compaq as part of their raise. Now, based on the book, I think this can't be their initial raise. So February 22nd, they raised right. $1.5 I think this has got to be – they raise 8.5 million in September of 82, um, and I think it's got to be a part of that raise. He flies into Houston. And and Steve, correct me if I'm misremembering this. If you dare, correct me. If you're just going to let me just twist <laughs> out here in the wind, but the uh, they hit wind shear in Houston, and Pierre describes the experience as terrifying. I mean, correct me again if I'm getting getting his description of that incorrect. Pierre
2: definitely worst worst storm he had ever been in. Right.
0: Pierre is so one should know ninety years old, grew up in Nazi occupied Paris. Uh, Pierre does not scare easily, as we saw during the pandemic, when it was very clear that Pierre had absolutely. <laughs> I think his exact <laughs> line was COVID will die when it sees me. And he doesn't seem That's to fair. be wrong. Like, I'm not like I'm not calling that bluff. Pierre does not seem to be afraid of anything. And the fact that he hit wind cheered, that was enough to terrify him. That must have been, an, I mean, an absolutely terrifying experience.
2: This is yeah, So they had to, re- to redirect to Dallas.
0: I don't think he yeah, – re- and- no, I don't think he redirected. I think that he – because my read on the story was he decided that, like, I'm never flying to Houston again. And then he later went to Dallas. Somehow he he does end up in Dallas and invests in Convex Computer Company. Convex, yeah. Not quite the win that Compaq <laughs> no,
3: <had> was.
2: not <laughs> quite Compaq.
0: Not quite Compaq.
2: But, uh, I mean, kudos to Ben Rosen because that e- e- that was – I mean, even though we think about $2.1 million in 1981 dollars, 1982 dollars, that was a big check.
0: That was a big check. So Steve, describe uh, who Ben Rosen is, so for folks who have not seen the the documentary.
2: Yeah, so he was the venture capital who, uh, venture capitalist who invested the, wrote the first check in Compaq and really got Compaq off the ground. He ended up uh, chairing the board for, what 20 years he was on the board for a long long run and uh you know he he's you know invested in SGI like early check in SGI invested in EA um you know in in some circles is considered kind of the the you know founding venture capital and um but you know from his seat that was that was a that was a pretty risky venture uh, but obviously, he had a ton of foresight and saw, you know, what was what was changing on the horizon. And, um, but they, you know, I think their business plan—they had said something preposterous, like we're going to do thirty million dollars in sales in the first year. Um, which he laughed at, of course. Like, well, that's that's totally ludicrous. But I think there's an opportunity here to uh, potentially build a big company. Um, and the fact that they went on to to do over a hundred million dollars in the first year is. Just amazing.
0: And they hit it and Adam, I think you really outlined that kind of the trifecta that they hit in terms of like their timing was right. They were clearly the way they did the company was right, and they just
1: executed really, really well. I mean, you even just to go even if the market was there to go from zero to fifty thousand units of almost anything in the time span they did is incredible and and just the way that they scaled that team again, from like three dudes who, I mean, I know that they played it up in the documentary, but who wanted to, who considered starting a Mexican restaurant as an alternative, like those three dudes (laughs) to like an empire of people, like, you know, all, all working to that goal is, is just incredible. But the odds of them doing what they did in the PC space, just about the same
2: as taking over, like, a chain that runs all Mexican food across <laughs> right. the U.S. in a year. So, like, who's to say?
1: There we go. Could have been something, right?
0: So the, and the thing I think is interesting is, like, you know, why did Compaq succeed when others did not? Um, and I clearly, like, we're reading their version of events. So, uh, But it, it, I think it comports with, my, you know, at least my my childhood inference of events in terms of like they really focused on the compatibility and on making sure because all of these PCs were all slightly different and for reasons that we can all easily understand because the PC wasn't very well specified it was kind of a it was a lark by IBM they were going to sell 10,000 units and all of a sudden that explodes and you've got very thin system software and all of the software making implicit dependencies on effectively the machine architecture. And they were hellbent on making it compatible. And that was something customers wanted.
1: Brian, this may be a bridge too far, but it, to me, it struck me as, as some of the like first system software, as I think of it, like as that compatibility layer, whereas everything else was sort of the wild west. And this was now a retrofitting foundation. You know cr- creating this foundation where previously like everyone had just been divergent.
0: You, well, no, I don't think you're going too far at all. In fact, I came to view this as like original sin in in that on the one hand, it was amazing that they were delivering a this this compatibility. On the other hand, they were doing it by delivering this very low level hidden system software in terms of like the bias and so on. And then also having to work with the one thing can they talk about the documentary, the fact that, they were floating patches back to Microsoft? Or is that from the book?
1: That's from the book, I think. Yeah, I don't remember
0: that. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. So basically, they were more compatible with Windows than Windows was. And <laughs> Well, they were more compatible with IBM than IBM was. They were more compatible with IBM than IBM was. Yeah. Um, so, Tom, I've got, I know Tom Lyon is here. Tom has been joining us every week, which has been great. Tom, I don't know if you're in a position where you can unmute yourself. I would love to get your take on the rise of compact as someone who was at Sun at the time in kind of a different space but kind of seeing this from the outside looking in.
3: Yeah I have to admit I, what, I didn't pay a lot of attention to it at the time we were pretty busy at Sun but uh, certainly we were aware something was happening there but, uh, but you know the, the thing that really put him on the map was having the portable when nobody else did and and being 100% compatible so, so it was strongly differentiated and still really useful. So.
0: Yeah. So, my yeah. my kind of burning question is, which of those is the more important feature? Steve, I don't know if that's what you're going to say.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I have a, yeah. I have a guess. I think they go hand in hand because one without the other wouldn't get you very far. Yeah.
0: I yeah. I don't know. They went to the. I don't know. I mean the. Um, I mean those portables were so. I mean I, I did know I, I knew um, friends whose parents were attorneys that would use them, um, but they were I mean barely luggable. They were huge.
2: Well, so, I think you so, can't have you, you can't sorry Adam, but no, no please do. You, you, you can't have like the portability is not is valueless without the compatibility. And yes, I mean to Tom to your point, it's like you can't have one without the other. I do wonder if hundred percent compatible but not portable. Um, would have presented a, a competitive product that people would have considered. And, hmm. and I mean, obviously the combination of the two
3: knocked yeah. it out of the park. But I, I, I think if they started that way, they'd be competing purely on price, right. which, which would not get you know, the, the enterprise's attention very well.
1: Yeah, because yeah. I, I have the same bias as you in terms of the compatibility being be more important, but it's so hard to remember back to a time when uh, there was no network. Right. So like being able to pick up your computer and take it to a place was your network uh, and and was your kind of interoperability story in it to a degree. So it's, it's so hard to separate that.
0: Yeah,
2: I did appreciate they were talking about, you know, it was so no one no one considered the idea that you're going to carry around effectively what is a sewing machine. And so people are walking down the aisles in planes, just cracking people on the back <laughs> of the head by accident while they're lugging around their computer was was pretty hilarious but i think one thing on the compatibility that that was really interesting is was the training aspect and i originally was thinking about it in terms of well yeah you know users are not going to want to have to get retrained on a whole new body of software but i think one of the things that might have been an even bigger catalyst for their success was the channel yeah. all the sales yeah, yeah. and folks that no longer that didn't have to get retrained on the pitch for this new computer and were able to pick it up and go. So they talked about, you know, the dealers loved the idea of having another SKU on the on on the list and they didn't have to retrain or have specialists that were selling these things.
1: Yes, especially in a market where it was this cacophony of different, you know, clone PC vendors. So it made it an easy choice probably for these VARs looking to both differentiate and maintain that compatibility.
3: Well, the, the amazing thing to me is that took a long time for people to figure out the compatibility was really important there you look at deck rainbow and the sun 386i they were three four years after that and they still weren't compatible
0: yeah that's interesting and, and it's time it goes to your point too that you really, that you need both the compatibility and the portability and steve I, I, in terms of like the channel because that cause of the portability was kind of what was interesting to the channel it's like this is something different it's differentiated and i'm, I'm only going to really feature kind of three project three companies really prominently and compact kind of fighting to get into that third spot it, it's amazing to think of the and this is something i think it is totally from a bygone era where a retail channel an in-person retail channel is so dominant i mean it is like today being like no, no, you won't be able to buy Google AdWords. Google AdWords is only going to sell to three different companies, and the rest of you just can't actually buy AdWords. So you have no chance if you're not in those three. Basically.
2: Hey Tom, uh, I wonder when you talk about uh, how long it took for people to pick up on the importance of compatibility, and and also as you know, as you mentioned earlier, you know they weren't really on Sun's radar. Rightly so. How much of them being off the radar and compatibility did compatibility get pulled into this notion of the clones? Kind of like this whole group of copycat companies that basically just copied everything and that got lumped right. in together and kind of stayed off people's radar.
3: Yeah, I mean it it's hard to see any kind of long term differentiation. So why you know, yep. why would the second or third or fourth company do to do that make any money? But yeah, you know, there's Dell, there's gateway, there's lots of people who did pretty well.
4: I've got an idea about this, uh, the compatibility side of it. Uh, Dad used to bring home the luggables so I could play Space Invaders, and he would work on spreadsheets. And he could plug it into the printer at work, but he could also plug it into the printer at home that we had other times used for uh, a Commodore. At least I, uh, I think that, that, was, that was the case. So, like, he was able to print either place. So he could physically lug it and then plug it into uh, many different kinds of printers. So you could still print in lots of different places so it was kind of
0: yeah so so jeff you grew up with one of these around the house you you had a an, an old compact portable
4: yeah the, the luggable he would bring it home and then uh you know he'd, he'd get it until about eight or so and then i would take over and play space Invaders for an hour or two
0: that's awesome i and on that amber monitor i assume i mean that Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, uh, that, that amber color still, like, speaks to me in a very... That speaks to the animal brain. I will obey the amber color.
4: And and the coil the coiled uh, cord for the keyboard. Oh,
0: that's right. <laughs> oh, because it, it had that little, like, gutter that went in.
4: And, yeah, yeah.
0: And those keyboards... I mean, of course, like, these keyboards are all worth far more than the machines were ever worth. But these those keyboards were so robust.
4: Yeah, <laughs> kids playing on them, you know. What was the but, name of oh, the... I,
3: I want to point out that there were, were portable solutions before Compact, but uh, for timesharing. So the, you have the Silent 700 in the 70s, where you could tote that home and plug it into the modem.
0: The Silent 700? Okay.
3: Yeah, T-I, okay. The thermal printer?
0: It's a, it's this, for the, <laughs> I've got so many questions about the Silent 700. Aside from a yeah. very poor marketing department, I would have to say. I don't know, I feel like, but the, uh, so the Silent 700 is a TI machine, you said?
3: Right, right, a a terminal, portable thermal printing terminal. This is awesome, Brian.
1: It's it's got an acoustic coupler built in, amazing. It's got an acoustic coupler and it's got a built-in printer? Did I hear that correctly?
3: Yeah, Yeah, it it has no CRT, it's just a printing terminal.
1: Oh, wow. It's,
3: It's like a half
4: step away from a telegraph, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it like looks your, like a typewriter.
3: It's your teletype you know, 15 years later.
4: So it wasn't really silent then if it was printing basically the entire time.
3: Well, it was thermal. So it, it, was, it was not noisy. It was like kind of high-pitched. Right, 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 right.
0: I, I just love the fact that like, what consumers want is not a screen, but actually silence, please. That is actually yeah. what, I, what I demanded. My, uh, that's, a, that's amazing. So that's in the 70s, Tom.
3: Yeah. I, I, I used to take one home from Anball and uh, dial in.
0: that was work from home on yeah. the and that's at like 300 baud i assume
3: uh, i think it was 12
0: Oh, well, there you go uh, speedy um the it, so
2: what was the name what was the name of the device that came right before theirs that they were looking at as it was the first luggable right it sounds like not the first uh, but i mean the i'm trying to remember the name of the company that launched that had the only portable Os- 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 or
3: Os- luggable. Osborne, wasn't it? Osborne, there you go. Yeah. That's what it was. They, and then they killed themselves with the famous Osborne effect.
1: What was the Osborne effect?
3: What was the Osborne effect? Uh, pre-announcing the next machine. That's right. He so gets on stage and says, the current one. it
1: says, if you love, man, if you love the Osborne one, just wait till the Osborne two. It's like, so I, okay, so, I, will. I will. I will. So they did. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I'm 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 a little disappointed that my entire management chain doesn't know that, but now they do. So that, that, that's good. <laughs> it's like did I early exercise? Shit. Yeah, exactly. Exercise? <laughs> well, I've been hyping up the oxide two. Yeah, I've
0: been talking the oxide two like all week. Like the, the no right.
4: forget the, the oxide Sorry. one. The oh, two. please wait no, for the, the three. Two, right.
2: <laughs> uh, the 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 ama- again like state of the art for its time, but the screen to rest of machine ratio on that thing was astounding. I think it was like a two by two inch screen. Just how anyone could see anything on it was was amazing. Yes,
4: yeah, so Jeff. Oh, that's uh, sorry. I was going to say yeah. Uh, that's kind of like kind of like the uh, Commodore sixty four Executive Edition, the Commodore's luggable, where there was a tiny little screen, maybe three inches by three inch, and then there was a split. They were they were supposed to put two floppy drives into it, but they could only they only had enough power for one, so they left the other as kind of like a empty space. <laughs> and, and when did K, K Pro?
0: I I assume is purely post. Is, are they mimicking compact? I mean, I I had a a math teacher with a K Pro with the the, the dual floppy. So I don't think I had a hard drive in it, but it was basically it looked like a military surplus compact.
3: Remember K Pro Tom? No, uh, I remember the name, but not
0: yeah, then not, not, not the actual machine. Um, the. So, in turn, the, another thing that kind of I know Steve grabbed you, and I definitely found very surprising about just the history of Compaq was the kind of the, the different organizational approach that they had. Um, that I did not know. The first thing about, I thought that was interesting. Yeah.
2: Well, but then when you know, in watching Silicon Cowboys, I think it was it was very interesting. But it was telling early on when they were talking about before even thinking about what to go do, the kind of company they wanted to build. And the fact that they were, they were focused on that first coming out of uh, TI and just seeing kind of these, these large bureaucratic top-down decision-making and uh, type of organizational structure that, that they, they suffered under and wanting to create something where you had folks that, that felt like they had a real say in what was going to happen and you know focused on teamwork and focused on um having everyone highly invested in their work i think that was what you know both in the organizational structure they created but then in just the quality of product that they were producing was played a large role in it which was which was fascinating
0: fascinating and ahead, As, ahead, and of, its, and ahead of its time honestly I, mean, I think it was very i mean it felt very modern it felt uh it, in fact it almost felt almost iconoclastic today sadly uh, let alone in 1983.
3: They, so, they made a,
1: a big deal about coffee and free soda which uh yeah,
3: yeah free cokes I, I was watching another documentary uh about fairchild semiconductor it's a pbs american experience Ooh, and uh, they they also had a very egalitarian you know company culture at least what they could control on the west coast and then the east coast people tried to manage it to death so it was very interesting
0: that is really interesting, and of course, Fairchild is really the, the right at the birth of Silicon Valley with the traders a leaving Shockley Semiconductor and forming Fairchild. Um, and so, it, it, it's interesting that kind of Silicon Valley foundation now spreading its way to to Texas with what must have been very I, I would I gotta assume out of step with with Texan companies at the time certainly. From the compact employees they interviewed, it sounded like it was unusual, and people felt yeah. valued. They felt they listened to.
3: I think the part of the part of the documentary talks about how unhappy they were at TI at the rigid structure. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> TI
0: does come up a couple of times.
3: Yeah. yeah ultimately, the Fairchild East Coast people took over, and then that caused all all these other companies to be started out of Fairchild.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Well, so-
3: certainly anyone's going to stand in stark
2: contrast to IBM in those days. I mean, I think they were innovative in their in their organizational structure, but I mean you you had the IBM VP of marketing in his tennis whites at a country club doing his interview. You know, with his with his Ferrari getting polished in the background, it's like all right. I mean, it's not too far of a jump to go <laughs> egalitarian. Right. To IBM right, at that time.
0: right. We actually, there's some room to actually improve on this without going onto the kibbutz. We've actually got, there's, there's, a, there's a way station here that we can hit pretty easily.
2: That's right.
0: Well, and the thing is, that, you know, we, for those of you who haven't seen, we at Oxide ask people when they apply to Oxide when they've been most unhappiest in their careers. And it all boils down to, uh, people not feeling listened to, ultimately, but not having kind of agency. And I thought it was interesting that I mean, this is a very, a very timeless idea, a very timeless problem. Clearly, because uh, Compaq employees really liked the fact that they could like actually suggest improvements to Compaq, and they wouldn't always do them, but they'd be listened to, and that's that's important.
1: Well, and the the uh, the CEO was sort of walking around the office and very accessible, and I, I think also probably innovative for its time.
0: Yeah, that's the old HP management by walking around um, yeah. and, and that kind of, yeah, accessibility. Again, feels like it's, as Steve, as you point out, it feels like it's kind of a low bar to clear there with the, the, the Ferrari and the country club.
2: But they, but they did, I mean, I think the, what it spoke to was later you hear in the documentary how they talk about the only way they would have really been able to compete with IBM is, yes, compatibility was important, but quality was even more important. Because the quality of the system had to knock it out of the park from the very beginning and kind of hold those first three years or else they weren't going to consider it an acceptable alternative hmm. to IBM. And, and I think that quality was born out of, you know, all the, the, the folks being as bought in as they were, you know, feeling they had agency, really, really, you know, putting all their blood, sweat and tears into the product and it showed. So it was, uh, it was definitely, definitely a good culture
0: they created. Okay, then, so how much of Compaq's success is also just pure mis-execution from IBM? Because IBM kind of inadvertently creates <clears throat> this open architecture, or pseudo-open architecture, and makes exactly the wrong move in trying to reproprietarize it with the PS2 and the microchannel architecture, which is an absolute disaster. I feel like IBM, I mean, in many ways, the story of Compaq is as much the, the story of the, the failed PS2. I don't know. Adam, what do you
1: think? Yeah, yeah that that was when I definitely wanted to ask you about Brian because it seemed like uh, they really shot themselves, like took very careful aim and then shot themselves in their foot. Oh uh, yes, on, this, on on the microchannel architecture, which which uh, both kind of was intending to lock people in, but with very little carrot to go along with that <laughs> stick.
0: There's no carrot. All, while, all
1: stick. right, right. While while also invalidating compatibility. So it, it was, I mean, I guess we've seen these kinds of decisions made, but it was such, such a mis-execution to do this analysis in the market and say, you know, we need to grab our existing comp- customers and lock them in before they slip through our fingers. Uh, and, and in doing so, just hasten their departure. I think we, we, we've sort of seen this, this play several times in the industry but it was just just remarkable, and and compact was in the in the right spot to pick up the pieces.
0: Well, and yeah, I remember vividly the so called bus wars, um, which were happening. I want to say this is like eighty six, eighty seven, and I remember being like a sixth grader and reading like the Byte magazine, you know, issue on the bus wars between you know ISA versus MCA versus ISA, which was what the extended industry standard architecture, so which like compact was championing, and I remember thinking like. You know, I'm just a kid, but why would anyone use microchannels? It looks like it sucks. I mean, there's just there was nothing to be said for it. they weren't even like now, other than it was idea no.
1: Now do I have this right, right that 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 Compaq retroactively, through this like consortium of the other PC vendors, took IBM's a bus architecture and re- rechristened it the industry standard. I mean it's it's a it's sort of a brilliant like like backwards fuck you, right? To take the thing <laughs> yeah. that, that you are trying to distance yourself from and bless it as a standard, which now it makes you look like you're walking away from.
3: So, so in small defense of microchannel, you know, the, the whole ISA and ISA, this was a technical mess. It still is, you know, it, it lives on today inside your servers. <laughs> it,
0: it, it is a technical mess. So yeah, they, I mean, so... And MCA – I mean, MCA was an attempt to do a cleaner sheet of paper. But so, t- Tom, did you do any microchannel implementation? Maybe you can speak to it with, with more technical depth Then, certainly, I never had to deal with it from yeah. an implementation perspective because MCA yeah. was dead by the time I – actually – so, MCA was dead and uh, I don't know, I'm not sure if I have to do the story. So, we were supporting uh, ISA devices in the operating system for a long time. So, when, when I – showed up It's Sun in 1996. We still supported ISA devices in Solaris x86. And I was giving a, uh, I, I was uh, asked the kind of the lead engineer on uh, what Solaris, what uh, was it seven? No, I was, no, no, no not me, no, no, that's me, uh, excuse me. It would have been, what, what would it, it was was two six. Andy Tucker put me up to give this presentation on what's new in Solaris x86. Because he couldn't make it, which it turns out was not the full story. The full story was we were ripping out (laughs) a bunch of ISA and ISA drivers, (laughs) and and this was to the like ISA driver group inside of Sun. And I had no no
1: idea. You're like Brian. I'm a sacrificial sheep. I can't possibly go. You are a sacrificial lamb. Yes,
0: that's right. That's
1: that's exactly what it was.
0: And it was to the. It was like to the the. The Solaris x86 so I think is what that was the group inside of Sun. I don't know where I am. I'm in Cupertino. I'm presenting to a bunch of, like, Sun folks. And then, you, like, usually when you get to the, the the part of the what's new in the operating system where you are ripping stuff out, like, that goes super fast because it's a bunch of stuff that nobody's using and nobody cares about. So, like, yeah, here's a bunch of stuff that you didn't care about or you probably weren't using and we've been telling you for two years not to use and now it's gone. But, man, I got to that ISIS slide and it was absolute bedlam all of a sudden like <laughs> the, and, like people are shouting at me they and, and like because i I, mean, I am the messenger like why not kill the messenger at least like <laughs> if you're not going to kill the messenger at least like send back a severed finger or something so the, it was anyway so i said this is like my exposure to like i be i said i said device drivers as oh, i always get kind of like this little fight or flight twitch reaction cuz it takes me right back to a conference room as like a 23 year old wondering like what the fuck's Andy tucker just put me up to
3: well, the thing people don't appreciate today is how, how many, millions of different uh, ISO boards that were the other. I mean, more, more than the number of USB peripherals today. I mean, the IO has gotten a lot more homogenous.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, Tom, that's a pretty good point because you, this is a time when the machines themselves are anemic. So if you want any functionality in the machine, you are going... To a a third party, to a company that is having its own growth trajectory. You're going to uh, Adlib or Soundblaster yeah. or Creative Labs. You're uh, going to yeah.
1: To be clear, I mean, we talk. You're talking about so anemic that you're talking about features like producing sound, right? Produce. I, I, you, you don't. It was, yes, producing the, do you know what,
0: you know, I know Jeff no, is I know, I'm, I'm, I'm I know, I'm trying to emphasize that point. Could that
1: like, beep. That's all they could do was beep. You know, I know, I know, that's <laughs> what, I'm, I'm emphasizing that point, Brian. They could beep, there that's were, it. That there were magazines oh, filled with deciding which, which sound generating card one would buy. Yes. Yes.
0: And there was
3: the Hercules card, that was wildly popular. The,
0: uh, the, the Hercules card, now that, there we go, Hercules, that is the all i wanted was a i had an Amdek mon- monochrome monitor that i absolutely loved i had an ibm pcxt without a graphics card sorry this is turning into a therapy session but all i wanted was that hercules monochrome adapter and it was it was like 529 bucks and i was never going to get it so that's it <laughs> and definitely like a sound card i mean it's like man if you are of if you're an xer of my vintage like the first time you heard an adlib or a sound blaster was like i have seen the future like i don't even want moon bases anymore i don't want hover cards like just like i'm <laughs> here i'm right. here i've I, already i've arrived and no, it, was a, it was amazing
3: but then part of the compatibility thing was that if if you told someone that their isa card was not going to work anymore you could be putting thousands of people out of business it's like it's ridiculous right.
0: So, Tom, you told us a great story about a token ring driver that you yeah. wrote for the, yeah. for the IBM token ring. Was that token ring, was that microchannel or was that,
3: what was the? That, that was like ISA. Remember, part of that story was uh, Howard Frazier, one of the hardware guys, also did a uh, weekend VME to ISA bus adapter. so we could run, run token ring in one of the big VME boards in the sun. I and actually had it running, running I... on Spark.
0: I had definitely forgotten that detail of a, or didn't fully absorb it at the time, that you had an ISID, a VME adapter, and then you're running yeah. the token ring, writing the token ring card, a token ring driver on top of it. That is, that is amazing. So, yeah, so you guys are using VME at the time, and this is before SBUS. Right. What's the sun view of what's going on in the PC space? I assume it's just like, good Lord, what a what a mess that is.
3: Yeah, it was just, good Lord, what a mess. I mean, <laughs> right. The the, the ISA bus was never mechanically very well thought out or thermally or any of those things. Yeah, maybe it was a lot better. Right. um, And then S bus had uh, some of the plug and play features that PCI has. Right.
0: And so for for those who are, in terms of of the history of IO buses, PCI is where these two kind of families uh, where you get the kind of SBus VME, the much better thought out, frankly, architectures begin to feed back into the PC, and with PCI we actually get and start building PCI. Everyone starts building PCI-based machines. What in like two thousand and early two thousands,
3: right, Tom? I would have guess late nineties. Well, already in late nineties,
0: so, yeah. I don't
4: know. But, yeah, it was a huge improvement. Somewhere in the middle there, there was those Visa Local Bus, the VLB ones that were oh, yeah. so weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, where where was this? Where, where was the VLB, Jeff? Where was that? Uh,
4: Visa Visa Local Bus. That was. I, I, it seemed like it was. It was like after ISA. It was kind of like at the EISA time. It was like you could get a video card that was one or the uh, one way or the other. Um.
3: Yeah, I mean the ISA bus was too slow, and yeah. people started putting stuff on the processor bus, essentially, uh, where it talked to memory or the memory controller. And that was the Visa local bus that they standardized.
4: So the cards were long, and they had a normal, I think it was like an ISA connector. And then farther farther along, they had uh, the v- VLB, the extra connector, which I just remember having like a brown plug on the motherboard. <laughs> And for, so for what machine was that? It, it, this was for PCs, various PCs, the clones, and, and you would use it for uh, video cards. Got it, Because mainly video. Yeah.
3: Well, we, later, on, later on, Intel had a bastardized version of PCI-X, AG, AGP, remember AGP? It was graphics only. Yeah. So same kind of idea, it was like here's a clue for graphics but we don't want it don't want you to use it for anything else okay
0: so speaking of intel a big part of the compact story is what happens with the 386 where the the first 386 based machine is introduced not by ibm but by compaq which is uh, pretty nuts considering that that the rise of of x86 had happened with ibm for them the to, to short and it just reminds me of ibm just like classic arrogance where ibm clearly thought Intel would never have some uh, some clone manufacturer uh, give them the first rights to the 386. I thought that was, that's an amazing part of the story. What'd you guys think?
2: Oh. Yeah, they, w- they went from fast follower to innovator. And... Well, I, think,
3: I, I think too, there someone in IBM decided that 32 bits was too much and 16 was good enough because they had that st- strategy with OS2 as well where everything had to be 16 bit and 32 bit.
0: Okay, I do not think I realized this about OS2. OS2 was trying to be, everything was both 16 and 32-bit?
3: Yeah, everything had to run on the 286. Oh, right. That's brutal. So I think someone at IBM decided, 32 bits? No, that's mainframe territory. It can't go there.
0: Do you think that that's actually the calculus? The people <laughs> thought it would be, I mean, it would, if that it is, it would be very prescient. If that's the, because that's exactly what ultimately happened. It just took 20 years to happen i don't know hmm. yeah well i was surprised i mean i guess i knew that and i should also say that just for folks that are like don't hesitate to, to hop in here raise your hand we'll and, and we call on anyone that raises their hand around here so um uh, just <laughs> hop in if you got questions or comments or if you use one of these machines or uh if you saw the documentary and, and hadn't had thoughts about it
2: but to the question of whether ibm would have you know whether they 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 basically created their own demise or not in this space i think one of the other headwinds that was going to work against them eventually is that all the software companies it was in their best interest to have the 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 clones effectively become real companies like they lotus and microsoft i mean everyone was was interested in getting better distribution across more pc companies at the time so i think that would have that would have chipped away at it even if ibm had not again, shot themselves in the foot.
0: In other words, it's in the software industry's best interest. I mean, certainly Microsoft aided yeah. the rise of Compaq, no question. And yep. Compaq turned Microsoft into a real believer. Um, clearly one that, like the, the, the Microsoft hearts and minds, which, uh, yeah, you're right, because they, you're not going to have a software industry. I mean, I remember having to buy software, and you know they would say IBM PC and 100% compatible. So it's like compatibility was a major issue yeah. in software vendors.
2: I do. I do have to say the I, I loved the '80s
1: ads, '80s and '90s ads. There were some just great, great marketing. The John was... Cleese ones. I, I was. I was really surprised. <laughs> I, I had no idea that John Cleese was the spokesman <laughs> for Compact for so many years. It was awesome. How do you yeah, not know was, that? And then, and then it starts such starch contrast that the IBM ones were like featuring Charlie Chaplin yeah. or like lookalikes. Uh, i don't know you're like well now you're just doing it to yourselves guys okay so <laughs> introducing their new innovative technologies with that's someone right. from the 20s and 30s <laughs> okay, that's
0: right so as someone who really grew i mean i knew like absolutely no joke i knew charlie chaplin first as an association through the ibm pc rather yes and through the so i didn't even know that Char- that they were making a reference. To and, and <laughs> I, I mean, and, and in the hindsight, it is. I mean, I guess I like, I, I kind of like hadn't even really thought about it as an adult, but Jesus Christ, as an adult, what are you doing, IBM? Why are you making Charlie Chaplin? I, how does it like what was the logic for that? Can someone walk me through you? what their rationale would be for Charlie? Chaplin? Hey, listen.
1: You guys need to stop mocking the Charlie Chaplin ads. Okay? <laughs> those, no, seriously, no. those were marketing gold. And as like a five-year-old kid watching, you know, bunny rabbit ear TV, and the ads in, in the middle of Scooby-Doo with Charlie Chaplin, I was begging my parents for an IBM PC. I, No,
0: I feel the same wow. way, Dan. Look, I feel the same way. I mean, they are. I, I think of them as I mean again, I didn't know that they were making reference to a movie character. I thought they just invented this own like and then it was almost like a Mr. Bean feel to it. Like this this character they created was kind of cartoonish and
2: this IBM
0: character. This IBM character. And no, I agree. Like look, I'm not Denigrating it exactly. I'm just now, as an adult, trying to put it all together, and I'm very confused about why. Well, in
2: their words, it absolutely bombed on their target audience.
1: So well, it worked on Dan.
0: I mean, it it, 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 <laughs> it, it worked on True. you
1: know. And, well, did your parents buy you the thing?
0: Well, I so I no. was extremely unusual in that I was the only kid I knew in 1983 who had an IBM PCXD. Um, so because the, uh, there was in an ill-formed thought in my father's brain that he was going to start a software company that did not go well. Um, but he did spend the, the he definitely spent the family inheritance or whatever on a computer that had right, no graphics card after all this.
2: So <laughs> so it worked. You were one of the seven hundred fifty thousand. I was. I think that was that that was the the the, the first year when they were talking about compact, just crushing it and selling fifty fifty five thousand PCs. And then they paused and they said, and in the same year, IBM sold (laughs) 750,000.
0: Well, and I, they were just
2: such a monster.
0: And I did. I mean, I learned to program with the. I'm not sure if you call it the basic primer or the basic primer, but that was. I mean, Charlie Chaplin sold that to me. Basically, is how I view it. I mean, that is so. Just in terms of that. <laughs> and it clearly, Dan, it had the same impact for you. Clearly, I mean, those those, those ads. They were. Yeah, they were. But I, I just don't know from an adult perspective what an adult mind. Dan, do you recall having a conversation with your parents and using Charlie mm-hmm. Chaplin as an argument?
3: Oh
1: yeah, absolutely, and they were not convinced. And, <laughs> and then, right. I mean, like, we didn't get a computer until 1985, and then we had probably Macintosh. So, oh, <laughs> you're one of those. families. Did
0: you were what? Were, were you the kid with the GI Joe aircraft carrier too? I feel like there's a lot of overlap <laughs> oh, between the GI, G.I. Joe worst. aircraft carrier, exactly, and the Macintosh. I mean, no, listen, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not the like, I, you know, this are just devoted parents, but the.
1: It settled down. like this is not some class warfare thing. My, oh, my oh! Look who's got, a Mac family. Look who's they, a Mac they, family, everybody. My, so this 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 takes you back in a lot of different ways. My parents got a free Mac Plus when they opened a bank account.
4: What? Yep. This, what? This what, they, what, what, what,
1: what do, is this what bank <laughs>
0: is this? It's like Chase Five Reserve or the, whatever.
1: The, this was like Fleet Bank. I don't know this. I, the, I know that it's like a crazy anachronistic to think that like banks would. would have these giveaways, but, like, okay, maybe uh, that they had some minimum balance? I don't know. Adam, I, I, know, mean, I know that you are telling the I, truth. I've confirmed this over the years. Okay, so no, oh, that's what I want to ask. Alive, have you
0: gone back? In your meanwhile, I've, I've your parents confirmed. are like, shit, he still remembers that one. Like, we fed him that line <laughs> to prevent us from ever having to buy an upgrade or think about uh, a computer again, uh, and he is, like, holding on to that one. Like, what, just, like just stand uh, by it, he'll forget uh, it.
1: You know, I just want to point out one thing, like the savings and loan sort of thing happened right around this time. So if we that's, want to talk that's about true, that's true. Yeah. the, the, the fiduciary Lesser known of facts of the here. savings and loans. Yeah. When
0: my parents opened an account at Silverado Savings and Loan, we got a free uh, on domain frame, frame Like, didn't
1: everybody at the time? You're right. I mean, this is a time when like we had uh, like 10 percent interest rates.
0: It is. Uh, no, it is true it is a, it's a very different era so you got a free mac plus now this what year? No
1: is this car. So, so so our first mac plus we got in 1986 that is uh, and then that, early, that though. One, wow yeah, that, that, that that was pretty early especially cuz my folks didn't were, were not computer professionals continue to okay so emphatically did not they open the account because of the free mac plus uh, the, so the, the, actually, the, the first one they bought, the, sec, the they bought, they got another Mac Plus that they were using for work in 1988. So I, I was, I was stretching it a little bit, but that one they got for for the uh, bank account. Okay. And I don't know if that how how much of a motivating factor that was. Yeah, I mean, I hope it was. All right, so
0: 88. So that, that's a little bit. Because I feel like 86, I feel the Macs were still
1: very. 86. We we had a Commodore 64 and uh, and then upgraded to a Mac Plus. Yeah, that's a big upgrade. It was a big upgrade. It was it was incredible. It was incredible.
0: And how much time did you spend just on Mac Paint, Adam? You first, Dan, then you. Uh, well, I <laughs> well mean, of ninety percent, ninety-five percent, and ninety-nine percent of that so, machine
1: being up. Yeah, yeah. So, so a hundred percent of my time, obviously. And then, uh, and then, but the one I I will always remember is the you know the ImageWriter 2 was the printer that came with it that right. had the um, perforated edges and like banner maker, two or something like that, where you could print happy birthday or probably other messages but it never came up and like have all the different pieces of paper hooked together and just not separate the perforation i think that was something that we're really missing from our our modern
0: you are bringing me back to print shop in yeah yeah, yeah. remember remember print shop the program print shop yes and you would you know you'd be printing out something that would be like you know you got the dot matrix and you're you're printing out some galactic banner that's only going to take you three and a half days to print
3: that's right. Hey, hey guys, the Berkeley Banner program—it's still in Linux.
0: Oh yeah. So oh yeah.
3: You just, find, you just have to find the right printer.
0: Well, Tom Print Shop was a PC, and apparently I think Mac 2, maybe. Adam, I'm not sure if it was on the Mac yeah, or not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That allowed you to. Certainly, it was my first experience with like fonts. Was Print Shop? You're like, there's a Western font. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was exhilarating at the time.
1: Well, it wasn't just banners. You could do like uh, greeting cards, and right? All sorts of other stuff,
0: right? Bring me back to playing like Rocky's so, boots.
1: So I- intersecting though, so from from the from the documentary from Silicon Cowboys, I, I don't know if this stuck out for you folks. And this intersecting with like the Apple talk, but uh, you know, they ended with saying, "Hey, you know, if Compaq made an iPhone, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it would have worked better." Did, did you guys? Did you guys catch, catch this one? Yes,
0: and they, I have to say this is all over the book too, oh. and it is. It's like I, I, I don't. I think it cheapens the whole thing. It's like I like every, no one should feel an obligation to claim their role in history by connecting themselves to the iPhone or by claiming that if they hadn't existed, <laughs> the iPhone wouldn't happen. It's like the iPhone is not the pinnacle of human history, and we to, to also well, to see, say compact, that we would have done it
3: better. IPhone. Would have been rotary compatible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tom, well played. Well, I mean, made a CDA, so it's like,
0: yeah, I just do not feel that. I, I, I mean, the the, in the book, like I said, tries to make this connection, a lot, and I'm, I'm not sure if that's what you were referring to in terms of like this desperation to be part of the 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 deep history of the iPhone.
1: Yeah, there was just this this you know one of the one of the talking head interviews towards the end was was just talking about how you know, sort of the fundamentals of the technology and then how the execution would have been better. And just like, okay, enough. Just, just take your wins. Absolutely. You can't, I mean, and there are many of them, right? Uh, I mean, and ultimately sort of ending in tears. But, but just like for, for the time that they were dominant, just that's the story. But then, I mean, I, I think that I, I saw enough uh, both success and radiated hubris from my, my time at, at Sun you say, you know, there was a time when Sun was talking, when serious talks to acquire Apple. And I think, Brian, you had the great line that we would have ended up with uh, like the Mac OS 9 kernel running CDE as our desktop. (laughs) Yes, Uh, And that's a much more likely outcome than like the Solaris kernel uh, you know, underpinning yeah, I
0: feel it was a fair bet that we would take the worst of all companies on any acquisition. Oh, yeah, I mean, I feel like you're not going to go broke on, on that bet, that any acquisition will, will be bungled and we will take the absolute worst of both. Yes.
3: Well, yeah, so, yeah. and it is, speaking, speaking of acquisitions, yes. though, you know, the, the later history of compact. I, thank you, Tom. Was yeah,
0: I was, yeah. ju- was going to get there yeah. too, because I think we got to talk. Unfortunately, you know, the movie ends when Canyon is fired. Um, which is pretty crazy, by Rosen, right? The, uh, the Which is pretty yeah. amazing. Um, and uh, Steve, did that send a chill up your spine at all, just out of curiosity, as the CEO of a computer company? Uh,
2: <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> that, that, the, co- yeah, no, none, none of that. No, right, no. exactly. But I didn't know, but yeah, they, 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 I think, Tom, you're, they, I don't know which acquisition you were uh, thinking about, but I, was, I did not know they acquired Tandem, didn't know they acquired DEC. I mean, I knew they acquired DEC, but didn't really follow kind of where that went.
3: Yeah, so I guess the deck was more personal to me because Sun kind of killed deck and then we can't contact bottom.
0: And that was not a good acquisition. That was not a smart <laughs>
1: acquisition.
3: To, a good... to be fair here, I mean, you know, deck killed
1: deck. Deck killed deck.
3: <laughs> well, they got open VMS out of it. Right? So...
0: And de- Deck definitely <laughs> killed deck. It, deck had way, way, way too many people at deck to support that kind of revenue and just did not... I, it, it's a mystery to me why Compaq ultimately... Uh, I mean, Tandem makes uh, maybe a little bit more sense, but I also don't think... Eckhart Fiefer, I don't think, is impressive, and they didn't really make him out to be a villain in the movie, but, like, why not? Like, can't we actually... I, I don't know. I, I I felt that, like, the later history of Compaq is this kind of sugar high of sales continuing to spike, but then, ultimately, it's the ruin of the company, and the, the, the company ultimately ceases to become an innovator. And I feel it's like it's, I mean, I I don't know, Tom, what your take is, but my view on Compaq is like the last real innovations are around the, the blade systems, which Compaq more or less pioneered um, in the, Hmm. uh, I mean, they were making good machines in the mid nineties, but I think that was still honestly a holdover from when Canyon was there. And then by the time, you know, he's totally out, I feel the quality kind of plummets. Um,
3: and, yeah know, I think management was out of touch with reality. Yes. Um, the, the engineers continued to crank out good x86 stuff and, and really saved HP's ass after HP bottom.
0: And, Steve, you were at Dell. Do you recall kind of competing right. with Compaq HP during, or was it, oh, yep. had, had they merged at that point?
2: Yeah, they, so, I mean, it was basically the, the, the server line at HP was still at its core compact systems and very high quality. Um, That's kind of where the quality came from. Uh, I did appreciate a few call outs at the end there on some of back to, back to marketing. Uh, Dell, I thought had some pretty creative ads, uh, which I know Sun then had even further creative ads, taking Dell's knees out later, but uh They had a frame up of on the left uh, you know a Dell system that was appealing, and then on the right it was a compact system that was appalling and comparing the prices of the two and then they had because compact now at this point was these systems were very very expensive yes uh, and this was part of the controversy of 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 rod getting run out was not wanting to go down market, but uh then they had top of the mark was the Dell system on the left and then top of the markup. Ooh, compact on the right so when i remember uh, steve
0: from that era excel had i thought very good ads in that era uh, what i remember was sun had, uh, yes no no no, 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 no i was not gonna be, I, oh. I be sun centric you know you don't have to, you don't have to be so oh. twitchy i the right. i remember dell's ad the the great texas chainsaw laptop massacre um where they were comparing <laughs> their prices to compact's prices on laptops and they were just annihilating compact on price i mean it was where you were getting like it wasn't clear what the quality difference was, honestly, at that point between a Dell and
3: well, a Compaq. Well, there was one point in the in the 90s, 90s I think, when, when Compaq was taking on the shorts and they restructured the it to go low margin. And it was very impressive maneuver that survived that. And it took on Dell much more competitively.
2: So the Sun ad that I was particularly sensitive towards um, was, so we had a line of servers, the... Uh, the 2800 series that was, or 2700 series that was a 2U server and was just very, very hot. I mean, it ran hot, uh, ran so hot, created a couple fires in data centers, which is always a good look. And uh, Sun's marketing team pounced right on that and uh, started running a series of ad campaigns, which would have, you know, Hades in the background <laughs> and the Dell logo with horns coming out of it. And it would say, you know, boy, it's getting hotter than Dell in here. And just a bunch of like hotter, hotter and Dell and hell references that, uh, I mean, very effective campaign took the, the, you know, rather than the empathy today, you'll see of like, Cloud infrastructure providers, where someone has a data center fire and everyone's like, oh, God. Like, hug ops. Like Hashtag hug ups. I Feel for them. Yeah. Right. Hug ups. God, I, I never want, you know, we all know what that means. <laughs> right. like. I mean, Sun was just like, burn, Whoa! baby, burn. Just,
0: yeah, just kneecapped <laughs> Dell. Right.
2: And we were losing customers left, right. Well, and the center.
0: one I remember, so first of all, I don't think anyone at Sun Marketing would have even fantasized about hitting the mark so much inside of Dell. I think we kind of assumed that Dell was ignoring those ads, but it was clearly not. Clearly, they, at least somewhere, Inside of Dell, they, they were resonating. Um, the I remember the University of Buffalo bought a bunch of Dell systems, tried to power them on, and it had so much draw that they browned out the city. Was the uh, what they anyway? That's what they told us in the kind of the Pravda issue inside of Sun. I don't even actually know if it was true or not. <laughs> so this like this is the anti-Dell propaganda that I and I grew up on. So for all I know, it's you know, just exactly that.
1: They all yeah. also told us we had revenue. So yeah,
0: exactly. Oh yeah, they were telling us all sorts of myths. Um, yeah. But I'm not sure that those ads were that effective, Steve. Do you, do you think? I mean, they... Oh,
2: they were. Yeah, they were. <laughs> the, the whole rhyme—I ri- I mean, can tell you—the the rhymes with hell just stuck and was—it uh, just was a good way for people to remember that Dell servers are, you know, have a high likelihood of catching fire in your data center, and um, it was—it <laughs> was pretty effective.
0: You ended <laughs> up on the coal face of that one. It sounds like.
2: Yeah.
3: Yep. 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 Um, and so, speaking, yeah. speaking of H- H- HPE and Compact, you know, they just relocated their headquarters to Houston. So, that's, that's really a continuation of the Compact. Interesting. Yes.
0: Yeah. It, it, th- that feels like that is a more appropriate place for them. I mean, I mean, I don't feel that they have been really a Silicon Valley company for a long, long, long time. I mean, I feel like HP has. Sadly, had a pretty deep level lost its way. Um, I, I mean, there are, I mean, clearly aspects of the old HP that are still alive. There's definitely there's some great engineering inside of HP, but I feel like they are more at this point. Houston may be a better fit. Not to, I'm not denigrating Houston. I should make clear like everyone. Has, <laughs> has, although, actually, speaking of Houston, Adam, do you remember talking to a customer of ours, Enron, who yes. was being wooed by Compaq? Do you remember his tales of being wooed by Compaq? Oh no, I don't. The and this is to, <clears throat> this is where kind of like the animals were walking upright. Honestly, where Compaq kind of really became like IBM in a lot of their sales tactics, and they were Steve. It was all the kind of like super high priced you know, taking you to ball games and and not talking about technology at all and.
1: Yep. Just ball games.
0: That, that's, real well. a lot, <laughs> that's right. Oh no, it was a lot more than ball games and it, extra
1: innings ball. Extra yes. innings ball games, exactly. Um, they have stories about compact. I've heard from some sales guys from the the German dudes' it, time there. It, it
0: was and the and meanwhile, the this, the customer that we were dealing with is complaining about the fact that he's got an entire data center that has uh, rebooted, I think, due to a power failure, and it was all waiting for someone to press F1 to continue. So it literally had no way of remote doing it. You have to have someone have a keyboard plug in, plugging into all these servers, so he was very dismayed by it. Um, but I think clearly compact's sales uh, motion looked a lot more like an IBM sales motion at the end. I don't know, Steve, if that if that fits your experience for just competing with Compaq or not.
2: Yeah, I didn't really see... They were selling mostly through the channel, so... It, w- it was not often that we would run into them directly but uh, but yeah wouldn't surprise me at all
0: but so I think again the, the New York Times review of the Tom to your earlier point the New York Times review of this documentary is like hey you know there's another interesting documentary to be done on what happened after canyon but I I don't know I think it may be less interesting I think that this part of the history is actually more interesting I thought it was an amazing part of the history anyway
2: definitely worth a watch I mean it's it's not it's just over an hour uh, fast-paced. And, I mean, at least speaking for myself, knew very little of compacts rise and um, just how how important they were in the history of personal computers. So strongly recommended. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Strongly recommended. And I'm going I to give you to another recommendation. I think we're going to end here with another recommendation on um, something ventured, if memory serves, talks about the history of Tandem quite a bit. And the history of Tandem is really interesting and looks uh steve definitely uh i'm
2: definitely gonna watch that because uh there it was i'm not sure if it was lore or reality because no one made it down to the data center to find out but um in the so the dell sales organization uh everybody operated off of this it was you know effectively a green screen but it was blue and red and yellow themed colors um and this was the sales, this was the Dell order management system DOMS. And they could not rip this out of the hands of the entire field team and, and the inside team. Um, they kept trying to, like, flip it over to a web UI. And everybody just knew how to do their business off the of function keys. You know, at F2 to place an order, F7 to look at shipping details. Like, so this was so hardwired in the sales organization's heads that they would just revolt every time Dell would try and make an it change which was effectively to get rid of this seven million dollar iceberg sitting in the data center this tandem that they had and they were so reliant upon it that they had a tandem literally shrink wrapped just sitting on the on the data center floor <laughs> in the event that that first one ever went out um and uh so tandem has always been in del lore at least from from the sales organization's perspective because of its stranglehold on the uh the Dell field team, but it'd be great to, great to see the history. The history
0: is really, really interesting. Jimmy Trebek is a super interesting character. I don't know if you Tom, did you have any, any interaction with Jimmy Trebek at all? I mean, very iconoclastic uh, engineer. No. And the thing that I didn't realize is that tandem made KP KP. If it weren't for tandem, Kleiner Perkins would not have risen as a VC for, they were basically, they basically went all in tandem and tandem had an outsized result. And that's why it's so, so, uh, they, they've got uh, I, uh, extensive interviews with a bunch of the KP folks. Um, and
3: so, so I should mention that that one of my infinite array of brothers worked <laughs> at tandem, uh, as well as a sister-in-law. So, so uh, uh, this, I didn't pay that much attention to them.
0: I, I know. I feel like this is the, right. I know it sounds like, look, it's only like a sibling. So like if I paid attention to all of the computer companies that all my siblings worked at, like I'd never get anything done. So, you know. <laughs> Um, but uh, that's another another good one to watch. So we'll put that one in, in the show notes. Um, all right. Any uh, any closing thoughts? As I thought was, uh, um, Steve. Thanks so much for joining us, Tom. As always, Jeff, Dan, Jason, and Adam. Thanks as always. Um, any uh, any parting parting words of wisdom, Adam?
1: Uh, just the the building on compatibility, like building system software, building systems hardware. Um, definitely uh one of the first instances i've seen definitely worth worth a watch definitely worth a watch all right
0: all right thanks everyone we will see
1: you next monday i think we're gonna keep
0: doing this we're having fun so hopefully you're having fun too we've recorded this we'll put the recording out there we'll put the show notes out there too um
1: and we'll, we'll see you next time adios see you thanks everyone. Ya. thanks